Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. I'm Tom Abbott from the University of Warwick. In this episode, I talk to Professor Sarah Stewart-Brown about the recent flurry of stories relating to obesity and child health. Are the miracle cure promises of unlocking the fat gene, or alternatively adding fat-fighting supplements to our food, really going to solve our looming obesity crisis? Or does the answer perhaps lie in a more considered assessment of our modern lifestyle? Sarah, you're an expert in the area of, of child health. In your experience, are we looking at a pending crisis around the issues of child health with a particular flavour on issues around obesity? I don't think anybody has any doubt that there is a real problem we're facing now. Um, the number of children, the proportion of children who are obese and overweight is going up relentlessly um, and we know that that is storing all sorts of problems up for the future. It's also causing problems for children nowadays. Uh, one of the interesting things that happens is our whole take on what is obesity and what is overweight shifts as the entire population gets bigger but the impact on health doesn't shift alongside it. So we're we're much more used to seeing loads of big children around, but it doesn't stop the fact that it's a, it's a big, big problem. What are those associated problems? What are the conditions that having a, a nation that is obese, what are the conditions that we would expect to see coming through our hospitals, through our doctor's surgeries that relate to that? Well, there's um, a lot of the conditions that happen will happen slightly later in life. Um, but there are cases now of children getting what's called maturity onset diabetes in childhood, which was unheard of before, and that's essentially um, a lifestyle problem. It's it's caused by um, it's very much associated with obesity, and it's caused by 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 um, very much by the food people eat. Um, but then later in life, we're looking at uh, heart disease and cancers. Uh, you know the, the the things that are big killers. And also things like um, problems with joints, um, which is a really big area and causes people a lot of pain and distress. We've had a lot of stories in the news over the last couple of months, um, breakthroughs in, in, in scientific research looking at issues around obesity that I think have got a lot of people very excited that, you know, that we're on the edge of understanding that there's this, this great cure out there for the obesity crisis. Um, I'd like to sort of talk with you about a number of those those stories. Firstly, um, the gene for obesity. Um, it was recently trumpeted that scientists had found people with two copies of a fat gene and that this uh, gave them a 70% higher risk um, of developing obesity. Is it useful to think about obesity in terms of genetics? The science is fascinating. And the science is also terribly seductive. And it's people are really enthralled when somebody finds a gene for this, that or the other. And so we tend to think of it as a, um, you know, there must be solutions here. But I don't think this obesity, well, this obesity epidemic has not been caused by a change in our genes or a change in our biology. It's been caused by changes in lifestyle. And I think everybody was aware before we discovered a gene that people's metabolism differs somewhat and that's going to have a biological basis. So some people put on weight more easily than others. But people put on weight because they eat more food than they need for the amount of energy they're expending. And that hasn't changed because we found a gene. And it's not as though you know everybody 
who is big has this gene and everybody who's not doesn't. Having this gene simply increases your chances of being obese by 70%. They don't even double it. Um, so it's a very small increase in risk if you have that gene. So most people who have that gene won't be fat and most people who are fat won't have that gene. So yes, it's fascinating and the science is always interesting. But in terms of solving uh, an obesity epidemic, I don't think it's got anything to help us with at all, really. So let's look at that food that we're eating. Um, another story that's been doing the rounds recently has been this notion of additives uh, to particular foods that would act as a, an appetite suppressant or uh, reduce the likelihood of uh, a future propensity towards obesity. And the, the, and the one that was particularly trumpeted in the press was this idea of adding leptin to uh, baby formula milk. Um, does that kind of intervention by adding extra things to our food that may address obesity issues, does that help? Well, the, um, the leptin story is another one that's even more fascinating than the genetic one. Um, but it's important that we appreciate what it's based on. Um, they, le leptin is a, a, a one of these hormones that's involved in appetite control and the scientists have fed it to pregnant rats and to the babies and found that even when the, the, the rats were subsequently, the baby rats were subsequently offered diets which were very, what's called obesogenic, very likely to make them fat, um, that if they'd had the leptin early on it, it was much less likely that they would get fat. Um, now, that's fascinating, but it is a monumental leap to suggest we ought to use it in humans and certainly in baby milk. And I think one of the real problems with the whole appetite suppressant story is that it's predicated on the assumption that we get fat because we're hungry and so we eat. And most of the people I know who have a propensity to put on weight, myself included, uh, don't get fat because we're eating because we're hungry. We get fat because we've reached for that chocolate bar because we're fed up or because we just fancy eating a bit more than we need. And that's, it's that sort of um, problem that uh, leads people to be obese. Um, our appetites probably work pretty well and are pretty well regulated. And I think if you've been seriously overeating for a long time, then you can change, reset your kind of metabolic control. But to suggest that that's the problem in babies is madness. Madness. Another an, uh, another approach that that uh, has had a lot of coverage has looked at a more holistic approach by addressing the lifestyle of whole families, and this is an area that um, you've been heavily involved in. Can you explain what that holistic approach actually means? Yes. Uh it takes into account what I've just been talking about, the fact that people eat for all sorts of reasons. And also the fact that people eat uh, foods that are more likely to make them obese without really appreciating that that is the case. Um, nutrition, you know, nutritional information is incredibly complicated and you start looking at those labels in the supermarket and have got a clue what they're really talking about and trying to work out, you know, is this really high fat or not? Uh, is it full of trans fats or not? Uh, you know, how much sugar is there, all those kind of things. And then is the sugar high GI or low GI? It's, you know, so you can get a PhD in these sort of things. Um, but there is also quite a lot of basic information that um, people don't have, and families are really very grateful for that. So there's information about food, and there's information about exercise and how much we ought to do, and thinking about how you might be able to incorporate it into your life. 
But there's also rather more fundamental things like it's really quite important to sit down to eat and it's quite, uh, it makes a difference if you have regular meals at a table. And um, quite a few of the families coming on these programmes that we've been running don't have a table, or they don't have a chair. They're all the um, viewing is, all their, their eating is done uh, sitting around the telly. And one of the things about sitting watching the telly while you're eating is you're less cued in to your body signals. So it's much easier to override the fact that you're full and eat more than you need. So there are things like that, uh, not just snacking all the way through the day, but having regular meals that makes a difference. And the other thing is the um, emotional atmosphere in the family. And in this programme we've developed, we have got a significant strand there, which is about parenting and parent-child relationships and relationships within the family. And the children do a programme which looks at how they feel and deals with self-esteem, which is a big issue for people who are obese very often. And it also works with parents and looks at the way parents talk to their children and are they putting them down a lot of the time or are they encouraging them? Um, what are they really doing to help their children feel good about themselves? And then things like are they using uh, sweets as a reward? You know, if you do this you get some chocolate. Not a good idea. Uh, much better to, yeah, you have a game of cricket or you to go and play some football or whatever if, um, you know, as a reward. And we're sort of, we have been acculturated to offer sweets as rewards. I think many of us were brought up like that. And it's something we really, really need to get away from because then, you know, when you think you need a treat, oh, I've had a ghastly day, I need a treat, you think of chocolate. Or you think of um, something like that that's um, not necessarily going to be good for you. And if you had got into the habit of thinking of a treat as lots of the other things you really enjoy, you know, a bunch of, buying a bunch of flowers or something like that, or, or um, having a nice walk in, in the park, things that also make you feel good, you could do those instead. But our access to those treats is, that much, is, is much easier now, isn't it? Um, I suppose when we were children that a treat was a treat, it was a, a rare thing. Whereas I suppose now the access to you know with ready access to to a lot of food that's very cheap and very um, you know very available that a treat isn't they're, they're not treats anymore it's it's almost like the everyday now almost like a right yes yeah. and I think I mean certainly in my day children had much less spending power um, and now children have a lot and uh, everywhere you go these things that um, you'd be better off without are, are kind of under your under your nose and in your face the whole time and so it's very easy just to um, eat those. So you've been running these programs in Coventry, um, what's the impact of the programs, what, what kind of outputs are you getting with working with these families? Well what, uh, with, with children who are obese, um, the goal of these programs is to stop them getting more obese um, and if you, because children are growing, if their weight stays stable, then they grow into their weight and they, they slim down a lot. And so that's the goal. Um, but, and so that was our, what's called a primary outcome measure in terms of the trial. And we, at this stage in our pilot, we didn't have a control group. So we were um, testing children's weight against what we'd have expected on the basis of population norms. And um, it, it's not a magic bullet but the children who had had the intervention um, gained much less weight than we would have expected if they hadn't had an intervention. 
we're, we're trying to raise funding now to do a, um, a randomised control trial um, just to check this and because on the whole children who are obese tend to go on getting more and more obese, um, I suspect when we've got a control group our results are going to look even better. So that's one of the plans. But the other outcome of the, the other outcomes of the programmes are simple things like, you know, families are having regular meals together, that they have significantly shifted the nature of what they eat, so there's many more fruit and vegetables, fewer high sugar fizzy drinks, fewer trans fats, fewer um, um, high fat foods. And all those things are going to contribute to um, becoming less overweight and less obese. But they're also going to contribute to the um, reduction in the cancers that we uh, know have a, have a dietary basis and a whole tranche of other diseases which aren't necessarily mediated through obesity but which are diet-related. Mm. So more diet, more exercise. And we, the other thing that we're measuring is um, how children feel and how their parents feel, well-being. And there is quite a lot of evidence now, and many of us know it for ourselves, is that what we eat does influence how we feel about life. And certainly taking exercise is something that um, most people feel better for having taken exercise. So there's those kind of gains as well, which are things that are much more immediate for families. Do you think that then in the race for to, to find those physiological triggers and the physiological cures, whether it's genetics or additives to our food, that we forget or we blind ourselves to the fact that making some fundamental shifts in our lifestyle would solve the problem. Yes, there is no doubt the obesity epidemic has been caused by lifestyle change, and the safe way to sort it is lifestyle change. But it does, you can't do lifestyle change without investing a certain amount of effort in it. And, you know, all of us would rather there was just a magic bullet. So when these very clever scientists come up with something that looks like one of these solutions, then we're all very, very inclined to believe this could be the answer. And then sometimes, particularly in the case of something like leptin, somebody's going to make a lot of money out of that particular answer. So there will be another reason for promoting it. But I really think we should not get fooled. Uh, we need to shift the basis of what we eat so we're eating more fruit and vegetables and less of these processed foods that do us harm. Uh, we probably need to eat a bit less than we do at the moment and uh, we definitely need to take more exercise. And to do all those things we'll probably need to change a bit about how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about other people um, and that's one of the things that in the context of these sort of programmes, the programmes like Families for Health that we've been running, that we can really do. In our next episode, we will be talking to Deborah Steinberg in the first of two discussions on the culture of genetics. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.